So my name is Michelle Fortier. Welcome to another episode of I'm Free Now What? Today we're going to be interviewing Michael McKeel about his EOS story and what happened and what he's doing and his successes and the issues that he found when he got out. So without further ado, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, my name is Michael. Um, let's see here, where do I start? So I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I decided it'd be a good idea to move to Mississippi uh, back in 2004 when I graduated high school to go to Mississippi State University. Um, pretty quickly on, um, I developed a drug addiction, um, just college lifestyle, just started partying, getting really involved with that kind of lifestyle, um, which it progressed into the point where I ended up dropping out of school and, uh, using drugs heavily. Um, I was selling drugs in order to support my habit. Um, and after about four years that turned into me getting uh, arrested on several different drug charges. Um, so I got arrested for various drug sales and drug possessions. And that landed me into the uh, Octibaugh County Jail where I got sentenced to 46 years uh, to be incarcerated in the Mississippi Department of Corrections. Um, which was very shocking. Uh, I was a, uh, a pretty well-educated, uh, come from a pretty good uh, financially uh, stable home um, in a nice area right outside Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and here I am in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi, going to prison for a very long time. Um, and so I kind of just, was shell-shocked. Um, I had spent almost a year in the county jail there, which did a pretty good job at being able to um, help me get uh, a level head for when I, I were to actually go to prison. Um, I've been around a, a bunch of people that were actually decent people that kind of showed me the ropes of what to expect when I got to prison. Um, I spent the first uh, two and a half years in the big boy prisons and the kind of the really rough places, a lot of gang activity, a lot of violence, a lot of very severe mental health issues. Um, I was actually in a prison in Mississippi, um, which was specifically for people that were uh, on psychotropic medications because I was on an antidepressant at that time. So they wanted to make sure that I was stabilized. So um, it was a very, crazy mix of people to say the least um and so after about two and a half years i mean i just um i kept my nose pretty clean i didn't get any any real trouble i didn't really get any fights um i was still using while i was incarcerated though uh, and so that's kind of one thing that is part of my story um it, it was more periodic and there were times where i'd had gone for lengths of time of sobriety and to wanting to try to get my life together. But just looking down that tunnel, it was so long and there was no light there. And it, it just, um, it's a very depressing time. And it, it seemed like there wasn't any kind of end in sight. Uh, but after that two and a half years, I went to a, a work release um, in MDOC custody. 
and that allowed me to get out and uh, to work a real job, a real jobs in the community. Um, don't get paid. We didn't get any kind of payment for it. And we still had to wear stripes and stuff. And we're still second class citizens when we went out there. But um, so, so wait, I, it was a money making scheme by the Mississippi Department of Corrections. So the uh, Mississippi Department of Corrections has quite a few what they call community work centers and all these uh, people, they go and work for various government entities. So it's either uh, federal, state, county or city uh, municipalities. And so I worked at police stations. I worked at a county airport. I worked for different uh, public works departments, uh, cutting grass and picking up trash. Um, and just all kind of jobs. Um, and I actually like, I look back at that time and I gained a lot of uh, real life experience. And, Good. And I gained, like, I know how to drive a tractor now. I know how to do minor construction work. I know how to do a lot of things that I didn't know how to do before that. Good. Um, but yeah, uh, we didn't get paid anything. Nobody makes any kind of money that doesn't go like to a fund when you get out or anything. Just, um, yeah, it's just uh, a government contract that uh, allows the uh, municipalities in Mississippi to save money. Um, whether it is overall good or bad, I don't know, but um, I do look at the benefit uh, that I gained in my life yeah. uh, through that experience. Because I understand um, sometimes they contract out to private entities. So, you know, I feel like it's kind of different when it's a government entity as opposed to a private corporation making money off of you and you get paid nothing and the, the department of corrections makes your pay. That's a different story. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's still pretty similar. I mean, ultimately uh, they're making money off of us Yeah. and the argument can be had that it is slave labor. That is the new form of slave labor. But um, again, I did benefit in, in some aspects out of it. Yeah. Um, it did uh, really force me to grow up and, and become a man and, and uh, stop some of my childish ways um, and gave me experience for when I did get out. Um, but kind of further on, um, closer to the end of my sentence, I worked at a military base for two and a half years at their fitness center, which was a really nice gig. I got to work out every day. I got to be around really cool people. Um, and what my boss there was a retired lieutenant colonel um was an amazing old man and he helped me out tremendously and so when i got out um and i'll explain that process a little bit but when i got out he had lined me up with a job he let me use his vehicle for like a month and a half um just amazing person and it just helped me tremendously um, but like I was talking to you about earlier, um, the kind of release that I had. So in Mississippi, um, they have all these crazy laws with percentages and these different numbers. Um, and that's why I was uh, sentenced to such a long period of time, because at 25%, I was supposed to receive a parole date. And then through some crazy happenings, uh, I lost my parole date. Um, and I was looking at getting out in 2018, um, summer of 2018. Um, but then in July of 2016, they said your parole date's back and you're getting out in a month and a half or five weeks or so. You need, need to find a place to go. Um, and so 
I met with the uh, case manager there. Um, I talked to some of my family about possibly coming to Florida. Um, and that was an option. But for me, uh, in order to uh, get off of parole slash probation earlier, if I stayed in the state of Mississippi, um, I'd get uh, another kind of good time. So I get like a day for day off the end of my probation sentence um, if I stayed in the state. And so I decided that that would probably be the best thing for me. Um, and so I started looking into halfway houses. Uh, and there's a few different DOC halfway houses in the state. I talked to the case manager about it and she knew me really well. I mean, I've been at that same place for like three and a half years. Um, and she's like, you don't want to go there. You do not want to go to any of those places. <laughs> they're, they're horrible. Um, and so she said, give me a few days. Let me uh, try to find uh, a different option for you. And so I came in from work one day and she said, I found this place. I don't know what it is, um, but it's called Oxford House. Uh, and what we're what we need to do is call and set up an interview. And we can do an interview over the phone. Um, and then based upon that interview, you can get accepted in the house. And I was like, great, let's give it a go. And so I, I had a phone call um, with a few of the guys that lived in this house in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And um, they didn't even give me an answer right then. Uh, they're just like, okay, this, this, uh, we got all your information, uh, we'll let you know. And so a couple more days went by and I'm like, can we call them and find out if they accepted me? And uh, so I called back and they said, yeah, you're accepted, we have a bed for you. Um, I had to pay a moving fee, which I, I got my dad to help me out with. Um, and he gave me like, a, he paid for like my first week stay in there as well. And so um, I got out and I got, uh, Mr. Connolly is the uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel that came and got me, um, huge help. It's such a blessing, that guy. Um, so he took me to the house, uh, went and got my driver's license, which one of the guys uh, worked at the, uh, the driver's license bureau cleaning up and he knew all the people up there. So when I went up there, he already had it set up for me. They were like, yeah, just give this guy his driver's license. I didn't have to take a test or anything. I haven't driven in seven and a half years. And they're like, yeah, here you go. Um, and so, uh, and then I had another uh, buddy that um, he was uh, a pastor's son that was incarcerated with me. And he uh, had a car that I could use and uh, went and got that car and, uh, it was beat up and the every time you turned left it would die um, <laughs> and if you got it under 15 miles an hour it would die That's and awesome. so um I ended up uh giving that car back and Mr. Connolly let me use his wife's car for like a month and a half until my dad came down to visit me and gave me a car um but my whole that whole like stretch of that first two months I was so blessed like I had so many people um, that were helping me. Uh, like I had a job um, set up with Mr. Connolly's son who ran a, a construction company uh, the second day out um, and had the car. Uh, and so the Oxford house, the place I was accepted to to live, um, it, it's a uh, recovery home. And so it's for individuals willing to work a program of recovery from substance abuse which was definitely me. Like I definitely needed that. Um, 
I had uh, a little over three weeks clean at that point. Um, I had oh, been, wow. so I, I really just stopped using. Um, I stopped using because I didn't want to fail a piss test to uh, and screw up my parole. Um, I definitely should have done that earlier, but um, my addiction was just taking hold. Uh, and so, so wait, I got out. So prison did not cure your drug problem. Problem. No, it did not. <laughs> no. Um, All right, go ahead. I, I just I just needed to point that out, and I'll just take a sip now. It definitely did not, and uh, I ran across very few people that it had that kind of impact on. Um, if any. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I got out and I moved into this recovery house. Uh, I had three weeks clean, um, but I had not been working a program of recovery. Um, so I went to a, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting uh, the first night out. I'd been to a couple of them in the past, but I never had taken it seriously. And even still at this point, I was very on the fence about my recovery and wanting to stay clean and um, just like kind of live that life. Uh, and, and so I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go. I didn't know if I really um, wanted to be a, a better person. Um, I didn't know if I wanted to um, show my family who I could really be. Uh, I had told them all what they wanted to hear for years. Um, and friends that I've made and still continue to make the people that I love. But like I had um, been this incarcerated person and um, had this kind of persona to people that I had talked to in the outside world that I was maintaining just fine and, and life was all happy go lucky. And I, had no problems that I had my head screwed on perfectly straight. Um, but that wasn't the truth. And I had really grown up as a person. I had really, uh, I had a spiritual awakening. Like I did find Jesus in jail. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, I honestly did. Um, yeah. but that wasn't enough to keep me clean. No. Um, and so when I got out and I got into this Oxford house, I got around a group of guys that were going to meetings that were working a program of recovery. They all had sponsors, they all had jobs. They're all getting stuff in their life back. They were getting their kids back. They were getting college degrees. They were getting good jobs. They were getting nice cars. They had pretty girlfriends. They had things that I wanted in my life. And, and so pretty quickly um, through going to these meetings and being around um, a good peer network, uh, I really made the decision to dive in head first. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was the perfect storm. Um, it allowed me to really be able to focus on myself, to focus on my recovery um, without having to worry about a whole bunch of other, other things. Um, yeah. I just kind of take a, take a breath and uh, be so thankful to be out of prison after so long um, and be a be around such positive people that it was such a, it had such an impact so quickly on my life um, that I went from being really scared and worried about where I was going to be at in the next few months and years 
um, to this really, really being able to sit down and calm down and um, feeling, knowing I was right where I was supposed to be. Um, and so, yeah, Oxford House, um, it was the perfect solution. Um, and for a person that is uh, getting out of prison or jail, um, being able to kind of integrate into a recovery house like this, where not everybody is coming out of incarceration, not everybody is there uh, with a felony, not everybody's there um, because they needed a place to live uh, when they're reentering society. A lot of people are just there because they need the peer accountability and the peer support to work a program of recovery. That environment uh, just made me integrate so much easier into society. And um, I was around people that like were just normal people, but had a, a drug or alcohol problem. And I didn't have to feel like I was just in another DOC place or another place where I was being herded off somewhere. And, um, this really felt like I could be my own person. I can make my own destiny. Um, and so it is an amazing feeling once I started to realize that. That's great. Cause I know that that feeling of being in another DOC place is what prevents a lot of people from actually going to halfway houses. I'm a big fan of halfway houses after coming out of the prison system where things are so structured to go to complete freedom, it's a recipe for disaster for a lot of people. It is, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where Oxford House um, really has the ability and does better than any other halfway or three-quarter recovery house out there is because our model is one of self-support. And so that means that the members in the houses run the houses themselves. And so there's not a person that is the manager or the, the owner or the person that runs the house. There's no um, authoritative figure. The house as a whole is the authority. And so uh, I answer to my peers. I don't answer to somebody. I don't have to listen to somebody telling me what to do. I just get to be held accountable by the guys that live in the house with me. Um, and so it was a really cool environment to move into. Um, and I, I mean, I really did have an open mind going in there. Um, and I think that's definitely what got me to, to the point where I wanted to make the decision to, to really dive in. Um, that's good. Been more perfect, literally. It was, it was exactly what I needed. And it sounds like because of that house, you didn't have to go through some of the struggles that a lot of people when they leave prison have to go through. Because um, it sounds like even though there were people that don't have felony convictions, there were people that also had felony convictions. So you got to kind of have that experience of the felony convictions while having the experience of people that could just kind of help you figure things out. Free world things. And I was very blessed in getting a car and a job very quickly. Um, and I do work with people now. Um, and I've experienced working with hundreds of people out of reentry, if not thousands, um, that don't have anything, don't have any kind of resources. 
but the beauty of the Oxford house is that it's a network and it really allows people to work together um, and to be able to say, Hey, uh, there's a guy in AA and he only hires uh, people in recovery or there's this, there's this job over here. Um, and this guy, he, he'll hire people out of prison all the time. Um, and, and just all those little things that, um, a career source or a job placement play, uh, place would not be able to pick up on, um, just that network. It's really about all about who, you know, and yeah. in Oxford house, you have so many people to be able to, to help you. And, uh, the structure of it allows, um, the houses to work together. Uh, we have like chapters in, in different areas. So they all come together on a, a monthly basis and, everybody interacts with each other. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of helping out of new people in, in houses and a lot of, uh, people that have gone out of their way as they have grown in the Oxford house system to really set things up for people, uh, that might be struggling when they first get there. And so, um, I've worked with so many people in so many different areas that have like established, like, relationships with food pantries, relationships with uh, thrift stores in order to get clothes for people when they first get there. Um, even like uh, places that will help you get your uh, driver's license or your uh, uh, dis different legal help, um, just all kind of different resources. And like we're, we're our own little mini United Way in, in a sense. Like we, we just were able to to bring all these things together and when somebody's going through something I might not know but I know that Tommy over at this other house knows let's give him a call and ask what he's got um, to, to help out this new person so it's so it's really a beautiful thing yeah that's what I try to tell people that are very resistant to going to a halfway house or a sober living house about these informal networks that nobody else really knows because you're basically saying that this person is um good enough to be in this uh, the, with the guy that only hires convicted felons like you're basically what do they say in prison They're, you're co-signing on his name right so yep. that way this person can get a job but if you're just some guy off the street with no reference from oxford house you're kind of just some guy off the street who knows who you are who knows your character so makes it much more difficult well like when they have worked with oxford house and people from oxford house like they know they're in a safe environment they know that they're only going to continue living there if they're clean and sober um and that they're working a recovery program so it's it's a safe bet as long as they're still living in the house to still allow them to be employed so it's it's a, it's a good uh, working relationship that we have with a lot of different organizations and people and companies and jobs and stuff informally. Um, and so it's, it's really cool. That is. Um, and so kind of like, uh, let's see here, about maybe two months after I got out, I started really diving into the service structure with Oxford House. So we have a very extensive service structure and I became what we call the housing services chairperson um, and dealing with a lot of the things we just talked about, like developing resources in the area and 
uh, coming up with uh, events like fundraisers and like I did a car wash and um, uh, helping out reentry and this all these different things. Um, and then I got uh, elected as the chapter chairperson. And so um, I was kind of like the uh, business leader of the Oxford houses in Hattiesburg there. I kind of made sure that we were checking all our boxes on a month to month basis, that all the houses were uh, financially um, transparent, that they were all doing audits on their house bank accounts and um, just doing everything to make sure that the houses were maintaining um, uh, and having that kind of oversight. Obviously there was employees for Oxford House that worked with us very closely um, that spurred us along and really just drove us into action. Um, and those people, I, I, like, I wouldn't be here without, and those people have given me so much and, and this driven me to the point where, um, like I, I gave freely of Oxford house for so long because I wanted to, and I gained so much benefit out of the, the service that I did doing something that I like freely giving of my time was never something that I'd do. And when I got to Oxford House, I got to see the benefit of being able to help other people and being able to um, just give other people some advice and give other people um, just a, a shot at hope. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, and so I started really uh, working in the state of Mississippi, um, volunteer. Um, uh, like I would go to Tupelo and Jackson and uh, the Gulf Coast. Um, and I started working a, uh, a job at a greenhouse, um, which I eventually became the manager of in South Mississippi. And I, I started spending a lot of time in the, the Oxford houses in South Mississippi. Um, and eventually I was already in talks with the, my supervisor now uh, about potentially working for Oxford House. Um, and so uh, an opportunity came about where I could move to Louisiana and take a full-time position with Oxford House. And I immediately said yes. Um, I knew that that's exactly what, the, what I wanted to do. Uh, I threw my work boots in the garbage and <laughs> packed my car and uh, drove to Louisiana. Um, and it was amazing and it's been amazing ever since then. Um, since then, uh, I have I worked in Louisiana for about nine months, uh, and then I was given the opportunity to move closer to the family that I have here in Florida um, and start a contract with the Alabama Department of Mental Health um, that we had there to open Oxford houses in the state of Alabama. Um, and so I opened the first house in Alabama and several others after that. And then in March of 19, or February of 19, we started a contract with DCF here in Florida um, and I have family here in Tallahassee. And so uh, I was all about it and um, got the opportunity to come, move to Tallahassee, open the first house in the state of Florida um, under this contract. And yeah, we've been uh, kicking butt ever since. Uh, so we have 40 active Oxford houses in the state of Florida now. Um, and over 300 something beds and yeah every day we're accepting new people even during the coronavirus 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. I definitely would like to work more with DOC in the state of Florida. Um, I think our relationship with them, um, definitely needs to grow. Uh, I don't it, know. It DOC is, something else. <laughs> it is. And I, I've had a, I've had a couple sit down meetings with some of the staff. Um, and we, we have accepted a good handful of people out of DOC. Um, but I know, um, from what I was part of in Louisiana and what I've seen in other states, how much of an impact Oxford house can have on the reentry population in the state. Um, in Louisiana, they're, um, they've gotten funding for like four outreach workers from the department of corrections. And, uh, they, over the past couple of years, they've been doing a mass release in Louisiana. And so we've been able to get hundreds, if not thousands of people in Oxford houses there and it's been a beautiful relationship. Um, and it's definitely something I'd like to see happen in Florida one day. Um, there was an issue I know when I was still working in corrections where um, to fund the, the contract with the healthcare company, they pulled funding from pretty much almost all the halfway houses and the drug treatment programs that were in the Department of Corrections. So. I mean, I know from my firsthand experience in a different state that those places aren't very good. So if they could partner with places that are um, better options, especially Oxford House for uh, the, the halfway or transitional living, um, they'd save a tremendous amount of money and be able to help people on a lot, much greater scale. Um, awesome. As far as the treatment facilities in Florida that are tied with DOC, I haven't heard many good things about, um, but Regardless, um, any kind of treatment facility, there are people that do benefit from them. So uh, I hope that they'll find some better solutions for the future. So do I, so do I. And so for you in particular, what were some of your struggles when you first got out? Women. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was probably the, the biggest one. I mean, honestly, I, it got to the point where I became um, much more mature than I'd ever been. And I had realized after uh, being in an Oxford house for a pretty short period of time that I needed to give this my all. And I mean, honestly, like, and I know this is not the case for many people. I had a very easy time. Um, a very easy time integrating back into society at a very easy time. Um, just the, the right direction. Like I, I just took good advice where I saw good advice in the so recovery wait, meetings. So what you're saying is, is to listen to the people around you that have good things to say, instead of running into a wall repeatedly, still thinking that, you know, all the answers. And, and like I, I hung up, hung up everything that I knew, um, and just started listening to people that um, had walked in my shoes and were making it today. And so, um, yeah, and that was the best thing that I could have done. Um, yeah, I just and that I work in living in an Oxford house and working for Oxford House has gained me so much. Um, 
I've gotten relationship back with my family. I have, I just bought my first house. Uh, I just bought a new car. Um, I have a girlfriend, I have a dog. Uh, life is great today. Um, I can't say that there won't be troubles in the future. Um, but I think I'm equipped to deal with the majority of stuff that, that gets thrown at me. Um, and be your sober today. So it's, it's a good day to be alive. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like to me that one of the things that really helped you too was you um, networking while you were still incarcerated. Yeah. Uh, that definitely helped. I mean, I don't think it was as much me as it was God. I mean, Mr. Connolly being in my life at that time helped me tremendously. Um, and it was just like one person after the other that was there for me at the perfect time. Um, and it's, it's so cool to look back at all the people that have impacted my life during those first few months and year in recovery. Um, is look back and see exactly how they, they, they got me to this point. Um, and I'm so thankful from my first NA meeting to where people were coming up and giving me hugs and this made me feel part of, uh, to the first job I got and being able to, to make enough money, more than enough money to, to pay for everything that I needed to, um, to the various people that are still in my life today that, uh, that were part of the recovery program I worked. Um, we'll look back and, and all the, the Oxford house employees and, and people that were involved in Oxford house when I first got there. Um, it, it, honestly working for Oxford house is an amazing organization. I mean, you have, I think over 200 employees now and every single person is in recovery. Um, awesome. And you have just amazing stories from people. There's stories that will absolutely blow you away. Like my story is completely boring compared to some of these. <laughs> and, and it's just, um, it's just amazing to, to look at and to, to sit back and listen to these people talk about their experiences and where they've come from and how Oxford House changed their life. And, and to, to look at them today. Um, it, it, it's so cool. That's awesome. Now, what advice would you give to the friends and family of people coming out of prison that have problems with, with substances? Uh, it's, so for the, the friends, the people that are actually coming out of prison uh, themselves, um, being able to, um, admit that you have a problem and willing to do something about it um, and going to some meetings and actually taking some advice from people. Um, for the people that are associated with those individuals, um, those are the friends and family, to, to not enable them and to, to not um, give them everything they ask for, um, but to, to really um, ask them to step up and to grow up um, that I couldn't imagine being the loved one of somebody that's addicted, um, and not being able to do anything about it when they're in their active addiction. Um, it's so traumatic and so devastating what this disease can do to people. 
and the aftermath of what it causes is insane in some circumstances. Um, but being able to tell a person no and being able to um, point them in the right direction of help, um, but not just giving, not just telling them yes to everything and uh, giving them whatever they ask for, um, but really asking them to grow up and to, to take control of their own lives. Um, that, that question is, is definitely not an easy one. Um, and I think that's one for the ages, but, yeah. um, cause it's hard. The, the like you the said, it's hard on the family. It's very hard. And you know, it's where they, it's not even that they say yes to everything they say no. And then they get guilt tripped into saying yes. And I see it all the time, um, with guys, uh, that are coming into Oxford houses and they, they kind of have that prison mentality of man, manipulation and these different tactics that they use. Um, and, and until they're willing to this really say and admit defeat um, and to want to change their life, nothing's going to happen for them. Um, but to those people, I, I, I just tell, I tell them to, to really go to a couple meetings um, listen to what people have to say. If nothing clicks with you, then maybe uh, try something else. Um, but usually when somebody is uh, in the throes of addiction and they, they listen to some of these people's stories, um, they're going to be so similar. And the advice that they have to give might actually work for them. Uh, That's words of wisdom. It's, I mean, that's such a difficult topic. It's, if there was an easy solution, we wouldn't have so many problems in this world. No. no. So any parting last words? Well, I think just along the lines of reentry. Um, so I'm part of various organizations and I'm on the uh, Institute for Justice Reform and Development Community Action Board with FSU. Um, and they really uh, are working on reform for uh, incarcerated individuals and reform for to not incarcerate so many people in this country. Um, That'd be nice. <laughs> eventually, I hope that this country gets to see how much um, we just use the criminal justice system as a place for housing people with mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And if we could just change and focus more on those things, I think we'll see a huge shift. I mean, you look at countries like uh, Portugal where they have completely decriminalized possession charges and they have started pumping all this money into treatment and they see huge drop and just, the percentage of people that are uh, actively addicted. Um, those are definitely some things that we need to start looking at as an American society. Yeah. Um, and if we use this as a solution to poverty too. Yeah. Um, this, if we can put you away in a box and not have to look at you, then um, the, the rest of the people in the country don't have to worry about you and we can go on with our happy lives. Um, 
but I think the coronavirus is actually, although it is uh, really getting a lot of people that are incarcerated sick and killing people, um, it's actually making people wake up and to, to see some of the, uh, the lack of abilities of the Department of Corrections throughout the country. Um, so hopefully it's one step forward and not any steps back, but we will see. And now how much, how would somebody sign up to be in Oxford House? You can just go to oxfordvacancies.com and uh, find a phone number for a local Oxford house and call them and say, hey, I'm such and such. I want to set up an interview to be accepted. It's very simple. Um, people can also call me um, for anywhere in North Florida. Uh, I don't know if you can put my number in there. but um, I'll put your number in the contact below the video. And now, but yeah, say, oxfordvacancies.com. If they're in prison, how would they be able to write address? A member could uh, contact us um, and we'll explain how to get them a re-entry application. Okay. Um, my experience was a little different. Uh, we do make it a little bit easier on re-entry. They just fill out this paper, paper application. Uh, they send it back to us and we can get it with the house and we don't need an interview. And so for the, the re-entry, it's just, it's pretty simple. Uh, it does take a little bit of time. Shouldn't be that long, but um, and then another thing, uh, as far as the state, or we're looking at in the future, starting up a reentry association, uh, which will help hopefully um, pay uh, a little bit of the people's uh, move-in fees uh, when they first get to Oxford House. Um, and then hopefully in the future, we'll have DOC actually chip in that as well. That'd um, be nice. Something I'd like to see for sure. But yeah, um, well, we're gonna be opening houses uh, continuously, even during coronavirus, all throughout the state. Uh, we're currently in, uh, let's see, Pensacola, Panama City, Tallahassee, Jacksonville, Gainesville, Orlando, uh, Tampa, Largo, Cape Coral, Port St. Lucie, West Palm Beach, and about to open one in Miami and St. Augustine. All right, good um, for y'all. And then 49 other states as well. Wow. 48 other states. And yeah. I think I asked this before, but I'm not sure. No sex offenders, right? No, not except sex offenders. Um, although I do have um, a list of places in the Tallahassee area that will accept sex offenders. Okay, um, if somebody needs that information, I can give it to them. All right, sounds good. Well, it was nice talking with you. So uh, been uh, nice to go back down memory road, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I'm going to 